Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Ashto's ETAP Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. From walking to cycling, active transportation plays a critical role in reshaping communities, enhancing quality of life, and positively impacting on the environment. Since the benefits of active transportation have not been evenly distributed historically, state DOTs are now encouraged to focus on equity when developing new projects. Equity in active transportation recognizes the need to ensure that everyone, regardless of their background or socioeconomic status, has equal access to safe and convenient ways to walking paths, biking trails, and public transportation options. This episode highlights the crucial connection between active transportation and equity as transportation planners, policymakers, and communities team up to create a more inclusive and accessible future. This episode features Joshua Phillips, the Communications and Public Relations Coordinator for the Alabama Department of Transportation, who will shine a spotlight on Alabama's CityWalk Birmingham project that connects the community like never before. Our second guest is Tamika Butler, the founder and principal of Tamika L. Butler Consulting, who leads efforts to make transportation more equitable and representative for all. Tamika, Josh, welcome to Ashto's ETAP podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. I guess the best place and the place I usually start all of these podcasts with is trying to better identify the folks that we're talking to and what their background is. Tamika, why don't we start with you? Tell us a bit about Tamika L. Butler Consulting and the kind of work that you do and how you work with stakeholders to advocate for active transportation and minority communities, if you would, please. Again, thanks thanks for having me. Good to talk with you again. I'm excited to, to get to know Josh and hear a little bit more about his work. For me, I started off as a lawyer, uh, as a civil rights um, lawyer in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the area I was working in, I couldn't get folks to trust me or talk to me um, until they knew how I felt about this new transit project that was happening in the community. Um, And I think for me, um, even though I was a lawyer, that was the first real eye-opening experience I had to transportation and how important it is to so many other aspects of life. So fast forward a few years later, I became the executive director of the LA County Bicycle Coalition, really learned more about the nitty gritty of policy um, when it comes to urban planning uh, and and how to get projects done. Wasn't sure if I loved urban planning or, or active transportation. So I bounced around to a nonprofit, the LA Neighborhood Land Trust that built parks and gardens and low-income communities and, and realized I really did like urban planning generally, but definitely had an affinity for transportation. What I what I did love about the parks organization is that it opened me up more to, to environmental and, and climate change work. And I think a lot of parks start with the assumption that they're for people. And that's not always the case with transportation projects. And so I learned a lot about how I wanted to approach engagement through that job and fast forward again. And I ended up going back to a transportation consulting firm, Tool Design, where I was privileged to to learn from the amazing Jennifer Tool as the director of, of planning for California and the director of equity and inclusion for the whole firm. And the pandemic hit and I was one of those folks 
that thought, hmm, real job? Should I go back to grad school? <laughs> and so I went out on my own, started my own uh, consulting practice. And I'm also in two weeks starting my third year as a PhD student in urban planning at, at UCLA. And so, um, you know, I like to stay busy as a full-time student and a full-time consultant. My work is kind of one-third um, climate sustainability work, one-third transportation projects. So, you know, the kind where X city says we want to put a bike lane down Main Street and I join a team. And then one-third kind of random all kinds of clients that are specifically looking at change management often want me to work with their HR departments and think about how they integrate diversity and equity um, into their their work. And so that's that's a little bit about me. Josh, let's hear a little bit about you. And in particular, tell us what CityWalk Beham is, if you would, please. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I'm near as busy as uh, Tamika, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I am a public information uh, coordinator here at the Alabama Department of Transportation. CityWalk Beham is, is it's located in Birmingham. It is a public space that is up under the I-5920 bridges. And when we were looking at replacing the I-5920 bridges as a department, um, we had an opportunity to create this public space that uh, has come to serve as a zipper for this community and, and kind of bring uh, a once separated community together in a, uh, a public space that, that really is uh, unrivaled in the rest of the state. What has that meant for the city of Birmingham to have that space underneath there, which I guess at times was used for parking and assorted activities and now is very much a public space. Yeah, I mean, this this project basically served as a reclamation project as far as that part of it. And and certainly, uh, like Tamika alluded to earlier, you know, we didn't set out to build a park. That's not the job or the charge of the Alabama Department of Transportation. Um, we build and maintain roads and bridges, and this was a bridge that needed to be replaced. However, as we got into the planning portion of it, through community engagement, we saw the need for a public space that could be used in a very uh, unique way. And, and that an opportunity like that, like presented itself here, it just, just doesn't come along very often. And so it's meant a lot to the community. We've had great partners throughout. And I think uh, kind of, again, showing the unique opportunity this provided was the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center is located right there uh, beside CityWalk. And so they are our partner as far as the programming. Once we built this project, we handed over the maintenance um, and everyday running of CityWalk to BJCC. So uh, just having it owned and run by the community has been terrific. I'd like to ask each of you what active transportation means to each of you. Let me start off with you, Tamika. I know one of your former roles was serving as the executive director of the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. So you certainly bring one perspective. Why don't you tell me, what does active transportation mean to you? Yeah, you know, I think in, in my work, especially now as, as an academic, when I'm doing a, a literature review on something like active transportation, the, the things that, that folks often think of are the things that come up, biking, walking, taking transit. And so for me, that's what comes up in a very academic sense. I think what it meant for me when I was doing work, whether or not, you know, that was in the historically Black neighborhood in San Francisco or in L.A., what active transportation meant for folks 
is just how they get around, right? Like it wasn't a specific definition. They weren't thinking of themselves as a pedestrian or a cyclist or a transit rider necessarily. They were just thinking of themselves as a mom or a dad or a teacher or a construction worker, just trying to get from point A to B, right? And however they had to accomplish that was what they were trying, you know, to do. And I think this focus on these forms of transportation that that aren't cars, that some folks call active transportation, is really important because I think that's what true mobility looks like. Almost more of a focus on just being mobile than different types or different modes of transportation. And I, I'll never forget having someone in that historically Black neighborhood say to me, I can't think about my job or employment discrimination I might be facing. I can't be economically mobile if I'm not mobile. And so when I think of active transportation, I'm really just thinking of those folks just just trying to make it through the day, just trying to get around and knowing that they should have the same right to get to where they want to go on time, you know, with quality, quality service and infrastructure, even if they can't have a car. Josh, how about for you? What does active transportation mean to you? You know, the way that the department has approached it is it's just projects that help get people moving. The challenge that I think we face a lot of times is that a lot of transportation solutions that are appropriate in large urban areas just don't work for us in uh, a lot of our areas because Alabama can be so rural and so spread out. And uh, as the summer has showed us uh, so hot, (laughs) you know, a lot of times it's just not an option for people to walk or ride bikes. But like Tamika said, that it's also not an option for some people. It is the only uh, mode of transportation they have. So the department has really uh, started looking for ways to integrate opportunities for active transportation into different projects that we're doing, uh, while also having to be innovative about the way we do them. So, and CityWalk, I think, showed that it's certainly gotten people moving and become a place that uh, people have come to to visit specifically to be active. An active transportation project doesn't just happen. There's planning that goes into it, obviously collaboration, as you've both touched on with the community and the people who are going to be affected and use these kinds of facilities. What's the first stage of creating an active transportation project? Josh, why don't we start with you? For us, it's just it's planning and making sure that it's consistent with our bicycle and pedestrian plan. We have people inside the department that work very hard with stakeholders and and different groups to uh, come up with our bike ped plan every year. And we want to make sure that we're consistent with that. Uh, we also, like I mentioned earlier, CityWalk has a partner in the BJCC that's been uniquely qualified to handle program activities. And the public engagement that went into CityWalk, I think, was an effort that uh, was the first of its kind for our department. I mean, it, it included online surveys, neighborhood group meetings, stakeholder meetings, large public visioning meetings. We, we really never had an undertaking this large before this. And Tamika, you come at it from a, a somewhat different perspective. You're not representing a state DOT or a government agency. How does it, how do you see that, that first step being taken? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go back to to what I said about the the parks organization I worked at really transforming how I thought about first steps. That was an organization that in some ways could have less red tape than some transportation projects have, because often these parks and gardens were being built in empty lots. So all it would take 
um, is for a council member or or someone to just say, hey, we want to give you this land. Like our community needs a park. And I remember when I started there, I, I was a transportation planner. And so I thought about how do we start, you know, looking at documents, looking at what the funding says that we that we have to do and that we need to do. And my staff, I remember telling me, said the first thing we do is go door to door. Everybody who's walkable to this park, we just go door to door and we ask them if they want a park. And if they say no, if they say I could care less about a park, I've, <laughs> you know, I've wanted a grocery store. I've wanted this. I've wanted that. Then we go back to whoever gave us the land and we say, you know what? We're, we can't build a park here because that's not what the community needs. The community is asking for more affordable housing. Now, sometimes that conversation about a fresh grocery store means, okay, well, then how can we change this project? Instead of just making this a park, let's make this a park and garden combo. Sometimes those conversations where I don't want to park because I live next to a high school and I know that those kids are just going to skip school and hang out in the park and smoke and I don't want any of that. And then it's actually having follow-up conversations and doing that community gathering and information and stakeholder building where we say, actually, the teenagers want a place to hang out too. And it's not just to smoke based on, you know, your stereotype. They want to play basketball. It was, you know, doing engagement in neighborhoods that had gang populations, but saying this is going to be a safe space and gang members, you're invited to this focus group because we want to know what you want the park for as well. Now, again, sometimes that's more difficult in transportation projects when there's all these strings attached, but I don't think it, it changes my first step, which is always you have to listen to people and you have to figure out how they perceive the need. And sometimes because of the way transportation funding works, you have to go into a situation and say, oh, this isn't actually an engagement situation. This isn't a situation where we're talking to you and we want to know what you think and we're going to kind of go back and forth. This is more of an outreach situation. This is what's happening. Here's what we're going to do. And here's the timeline. And we just want to let you know that your bus stop is going to move over a block this way or whatever it may be. And I think there is room for both. And I think what community actually wants is just transparency around how decisions are going to be made and what impacts they can really have and feeling like someone is just keeping them informed and listening. Let's jump from that first step that we just talked about to much further along in the process. The project has been built. It is being used. How do you judge whether or not it was a success? I think that the one of the main metrics is, is whether or not it's used. If you see people there and City Walk has certainly shown that it's been used. It served as the kickoff for the 2022 World Games that there in Birmingham. It was a key role in helping them be successful in, in hosting those World Games. But it's got a 58,000 square foot skate park, a dog park. It's got multi-purpose fields, pickleball courts, a playground, walking paths, a fitness challenge court, multiple amphitheaters. It is truly a place that has multiple uses, and it has hosted event after event, thanks to our partners in the BJCC. And so, yeah, I think the fact that it's being used speaks to its success. And then kind of anecdotally, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say this, but every project, no matter what you're doing in, in what space, any kind of project has its critics going in, right? But whenever those critics come back to you afterwards and tell you, hey, I was wrong, and this is a great 
space, I think that that, that really speaks volumes. Tamika, how do you feel a project can be judged as successful or not successful? I couldn't have said it better. I think when, you know, one of one of the proudest moments when you have a project is when you see people using it. And I think also when you see people using it in ways you didn't expect, you know, not to go back to a park project, but I thought of this, um, Josh, because you just mentioned a skate park. There was a, a county park here where they built this amazing skate park. And it is getting so much use. And that is a success. But the other reason we know it's a success is because this summer they started a bunch of adult sports leagues because parents wanted something to do when their kids were skateboarding. And we didn't really foresee that coming. Right. And I think that's something that's really common in transportation projects and something that I think about a lot when we think about sometimes the increased policing of public space and public projects that sometimes we have to get comfortable with. Something is a success if the community is using it in the way that makes the most sense to them. So yes, maybe they're using the skate park, but maybe there's also more street vendors than we've ever seen before. And people are out here walking, but also being able to get their bottle of water or their ice cream and families are able to spend time together. And so I really think sometimes successes in having use that you didn't expect instead of being disappointed that like, oh, we thought it was going to be X, but everybody's just doing this. And then the other, the only other thing I'll say about success, I think sometimes because we've all been part of projects that we could argue were not successful. And I think sometimes success in those projects is really about the relationships that were formed. And so even though this project didn't work out, and that could even mean you went after funding and you didn't get it, do you now have relationships? Have you built trust with the community? Have you felt like you better understand what the community needs are? And they better understand how a transportation planning process works, right? Those sorts of things, I think, can also be viewed as success. Tamika, building on that, what you talk about building relationships with communities, both of you have been involved with, I'm sure, numerous projects. Tamika, let's start with you. What have you found over the years as you've worked on different projects, whether it's been parks or transportation, about improving public involvement and equity and how to involve the community and things of that sort? And things that you, you know, next time, the next project that comes along, what do you think you uh, might bring along to that project? Yeah, you know, I was I was lucky enough during the pandemic to work on a project with NACDO where they were looking at um, cities' responses to the pandemic. And it was trying to get some quick funds out to cities to help them figure out what to do as far as their streets went. So was, was that open streets? Was that sidewalk dining? Was that community hubs? And one of the takeaways we had from that process, which ended up having two funding cycles, was the way to do this work is through partnership. And we kind of figured out that there were three types of ways it, it often happened. One, no partnership with the community. And that never really worked out. That was like the, the bottom of the barrel, you know, not at all a good standard. The top was that you were partnering with community in ways where community members felt like they had the power to express their opinions, influence um, decisions, and frankly, also felt like they were paid for their time. They were viewed as experts in the same way a consultant like me would be viewed as an expert. The kind of middle ground was when there were great partnerships, but behind the scenes, the government 
and the bureaucracy wasn't really communicating. So you had great partnerships, but then people were getting burned out because they were like, wait a minute, I just showed up to a meeting two days ago. What do you mean this is a different department? What do you mean this is a different team? And so something we really took away from that process is partnership is key. Treating community members and setting clear expectations and boundaries and and how you're going to treat them as experts is really important. But it's also just as important when you're a government entity who wants to work with community that you're handling some of the messy stuff behind the scenes so that that doesn't spill onto communities. You're really just there to facilitate what needs to get done and to cut some of that red tape. Josh, I'm sure CityWalk is not the only project that you've been involved with there at Alabama DOT. What are some of the things that you've learned? Yeah, Tamika talked about government working behind the scenes to make sure all the different elements of an agency, a big sprawling agency like Alabama DOT or any state DOT gets involved with. What are some of the things that you've learned and that you want to bring forward to your next projects that you're involved with? First, I'd like to state for the record that I have no idea what Tamika's talking about. And we in government always communicate clearly and concisely <laughs> and uh, purposefully. <laughs> no, uh, it, it is it is very difficult. Bureaucracy is always difficult to communicate across. It can be really hard for the left hand to know what the right hand is doing sometimes. But I think it's it's important to be purposeful and make sure that we are communicating with the community on the things that they want and, and, and really trying to cut through some of that red tape. Tamika kind of touched on this. It's very important for the government entity to involved, whether that's a state DOT or any other government entity. All the red tape is there for a reason. It's to hold people accountable and to make sure that you're checking all the boxes. But that red tape belongs to the government entity to handle, not the uh, community. So it's important to be transparent, but we should handle that so that the people in the community don't have to worry about that. And that way we can communicate clearly and plainly so that everybody is on the same page. And I think a lot of that is being realistic with people. My boss tells a great story about one of his first days he got sent to a community that had been promised a road for years under a previous administration. And he got sent to this community to tell them they were not getting a road in that community. It was not getting widened like they wanted to. And he went up there and told them, and they were uh, about as happy as you can imagine to, to hear that. But three or four years later, he helped that community work to get a grant that ended up widening that road. And the fact that he was honest with them to begin with showed them that they were working with a new administration that was honest with them and told them realistically under the current funding plan, you weren't getting this road, but we will help you to try to come up with a creative solution to this problem. So they really appreciated that. And I think that that's very telling. Most communities will value honesty over, you know, just trying to say something nice. We talked earlier about how do you measure success of an active transportation project? And you both basically said a big way of measuring that success is are people using it? How do you encourage people to use active transportation? Is it just something you build it and they will come or is there more involved? Something we we learned when I was at the L.A. County Bicycle Coalition is that it's not just if you build it, they will come. I remember having folks in communities where we knew people were riding bikes fight bike lanes. And when we would dig deeper, they were like, look, this is a, a really wide street with six lanes of traffic. I don't care what you put on there. I'm riding my bike on the street like I don't. 
feel safe or I don't feel safe riding with my kids. And so I think it it's about building it, but also understanding that there are different users and that those different users are going to have different levels of comfort. And that truly impacts whether or not people are able or feel able to use it. I think the other thing we learned is that education was important. We had tons of folks who said, I live in Los Angeles. I don't want to be in my car all the time. I would love to ride a bike, but how do I let cars know I'm turning? How do I figure out the best routes? What do I do when it rains? What am I supposed to wear? How do I shower when I get to work? You know, things that that for those of us who cycle all the time, we've kind of figured out. And some of our most popular offerings at the Bike Coalition was during Bike Month. We would have a ton of companies reach out to us and say, could you come in and talk to our employees about how they could bike to work? Could you come in and lead a bike ride and show employees how they could bike around and like get to the office? And I think education is a big part of it um, that we don't often think about or fund. Josh? So I think that uh, like to make it said, it goes back to listening. If you will listen to the community, they will tell you what they want. When we were doing this, the largest part of the community outreach for CityWalk, one thing that quickly flew to the top of uh, the priorities for the community were pickleball courts. This was in 2016, 2017. And, and I'll be honest, I had never heard of pickleball. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure what these people were talking about when they first started saying they wanted pickleball courts. As we've seen, you know, pickleball has exploded in popularity. And so the, these, the pickleball courts at City, City Walker are constantly used. So, yeah, I think that if you will listen to the community, they know better than you do what they will use. I think we've touched on a lot of fascinating topics about active transportation using Birmingham. City Walk is a great example of reconnecting communities as we've been doing a series on Ashto's ETAP podcast about reconnecting communities. I want to thank you both for being our guests. We've been talking with Josh Phillips. He is the communications and public relations coordinator for Alabama DOT and Tamika Butler, the founder and principal of Tamika L. Butler Consulting. Tamika, Josh, thank you both very much for being my guest. Thank you. Thanks for having me.